Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, if you've been into your local Waterstones recently and wandered into the children's section, you would have seen that there's been a sort of mini explosion of woke books for kids with titles such as Anti-Racist Baby and Feminist Baby. Uh, well, not to be outdone, the Twitter sensation Titania McGruff has come up with this new book, My First Little Book of Intersexual intersectional activism and uh, in fact it's uh, just come out now and uh, basically unfortunately Titania can't be with us today but um, her great friend and fellow author Andrew Doyle has come instead. Thank you very much Andrew. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's a very very tortured way of saying of course you are the creator yes. of uh, this uh, wonderful character. Yes, it's uh, it's it's not a surprise you stumbled over the title because that w intersectional is quite a sort of convoluted. Yes, word. yes, exactly. Um, thanks for pointing that out. No, uh, I wasn't trying to shame you. <laughs> <laughs> I was making the point that, the, that these people use this jargon and, and yeah, you know it doesn't yeah. really mean much. Um, why has there been, do you think, Andrew? The, you know these books. I mean, these these the. the there's a few more, aren't there? You you mentioned a title, isn't it? Yes. Something about the the little girl. The little who... girl who gave zero fucks. Yeah, there was that one. There was Afua Hirsch's book about Baroness Hale as well, who was yeah. the, the yeah. Supreme Court judge. So there's all these very sort of uh, politicised, more sort of very ideologically driven kids books. There's, yes, there's, there's, a, there's loads. There's one, uh, the Good Night Stories for Re for Rebel Girls, which is a uh, sort of catalogue of all the feminist icons of history. Yeah. That's another. That was a big seller. So yeah, yeah it's, it's very much the thing now. Yeah, but you know, uh, what why? What are they doing? What's happening? Uh, they're quite hilariously attempting to indoctrinate the next generation into their mindset. I yeah. mean, it's 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 so overt. I mean, I, I, it, there's no point in talking about conspiracy theories or anything like that. I mean, they, they're, they're doing exactly what they say on the tin. You know, yeah. uh, the book Anti-Racist Baby, which I'm sure you've read because it's, it's only about three pages long, yeah. will tell you exactly what it's doing. It, you yeah. know, it, it's, uh, it's pushing an ideology onto children that simply will never understand it. There's that book, Who, Who Are You?, which is a, ki a kid's guide to gender identity which is aimed at sort of three years plus that sort of level. And it's talking about things like, you know, gender queer, gender fluidity, two spirit, gender identity, and all this kind of thing in yeah. there. And it's obviously more than anything is probably for woke parents. Well, this is the point. You know, because the kids haven't got a clue. Yeah. You know, when, when, when um, Anti-Racist Baby was published, um, Kendi, who is the author, wrote a um, tweet asking for people to send pictures of their babies with the book. And so you have all these babies reading this book that they don't understand with, oh, there was one with a, a Black Lives Matter t-shirt on and you think this baby's about one years old, this isn't yeah, a, um, yeah. the, the, these children haven't chosen this stuff for themselves. And to me that's funny, yes. you know, more than anything. I mean, it's sinister and creepy as hell, yeah. but it's also just laugh out loud funny. Yes, the, the, you yes. know, the idea of, you know, it's, no, it's, it's the same as any kind of fundamentalist indoctrination. I'm, I'm not talking about people who are brought up in a religious uh, household. You know, when I was brought, I went to a convent school, I was brought up Catholic. But there was, there was never a point at which um, anyone was going to say, if you have doubts about this or want to discuss issues, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, well, of course, yeah. the intolerance and this sort of very sort of rigid uh, notion of identity politics and social justice, that it is a fundamentalist religion. And that's, that's, the, that's why the indoctrination of children troubles me, but also makes me laugh because yes. it's so silly. Yes. Do you really think that if you give a, a copy of Anti-Racist Baby to a book, it's going to grow up? To believe in critical race theory, yeah. you know, because once it once it develops its uh, critical faculties, it will realise what a load of bunkum it is. The thing is, as well, though, it does make you wonder about the outlook and mentality of the parents who would buy these books. Well, they're lost way. causes, aren't they? I mean, they're, yeah. you know, it's. 
I suppose on the one hand it looks good on your coffee table because your 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 middle class friends come around and they see that you're you're educating your child in yeah. the right way of th- thinking. Maybe that's the purpose. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there's a lot of people who just believe in this stuff. They've just bought the snake oil and they just they mm. they part of um, involving yourself in that world is that you don't question things anymore. Yes, you yeah. just have a kind of fealty to a higher ideal that that, that you only half understand. So. Yeah. That's uh, that's the sad thing about it. it. It is a case, really, of, of de-radicalization now, actually. I think people need to be de-radicalized out of this way of thinking. Um, well, it's not even a way of thinking because it doesn't involve thinking. Mm. So I'd mm. say it's... Uh, and, and, and particularly my, uh, the trouble with, with the way in which this has infiltrated schools and mm. schooling. You know, I'm not just talking about the universities. I mean, they're gone, you know, but, mm. but mm. schools, and particularly in the UK now, mm. uh, I mean, I'm constantly contacted by teachers who are telling me about how They've been told to read uh, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, or they've been told to teach children about white privilege, and you have curricula are being updated, pastoral policies are being updated, teacher training courses are being updated to include these obviously very niche uh, academic theories, which they're invited to teach to children as though they are uncontested truths which more than anything is just bad educational practice yeah. because they're, they're, they're shoddy niche academic theories that are actually fraudulent. So, and you know, I wouldn't care if you, if you went into a school, talked to a bunch of kids about white fragility by Robin DiAngelo and explained, uh, you know, this, this is her theory, what do you think of that? But also this is why it's so obviously flawed and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that as well? And let's have a discussion about it, that would be okay. But going in and saying to a bunch of kids, you are racist if you are white, and you are complicit in white supremacy if you are white. Um, that's just, firstly, wrong. Uh, and secondly, uh, quite flagrant political indoctrination is probably against the law, according to the 1996 Education Act. Mm. So, uh, but this is happening across schools throughout the UK. I'm not hearing much from the Education Secretary about any of this. People aren't talking about it. So there's a big move. It's not just about the woke children's books. It's something that's much broader uh, than that. You said actually universities, they're gone. Well, uh, I think the humanities uh, what, what, have gone. Yeah, yeah humanities. Yeah, I think and this so. is something Roger Scruton, I think, said. Isn't it? it was like he said, well, uh, uh, "That's it, they, they're beyond help." Now. Well, it comes a point. I, li- I like to be an optimist, but there comes a point where some something is a lost cause. There, ju- there just is, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know how they can be rescued now because the rot is so deep. Uh, you know, it's like a house. If the rot becomes so deep, you just have to demolish the house. There's no point in. In, in building it again, you'd have to build it from scratch, and that's probably what we'll have to do. I mean, you'll, it'll probably have to be new private humanities universities and you know th- things like Ralston College yes. uh, emerging uh, to to educate people properly. You know, mm, mm, mm. Um, I mean, universities are particularly bad, and I'm I'm always in contact with academics who uh, I had a, a discussion with an academic last week actually about this, and uh, he was quite open about the fact that he couldn't express his misgivings about a lot of this ideological nonsense because he's got a career to worry about. Oh, well, no, look, I, I know, I'm sure like you do, many people get in touch or whatever with us. Uh, same thing, yeah, you know, same yeah. thing. It's, it's, they, are, they are sort of surrounded, they're behind enemy walls, you know. Even for just being, if you like, Tory voters. I mean, you know, just a simple thing like that, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's completely anti-educational. Mm. It's... it's um, it's the opposite, really, of what a, a yeah. university should be. It's, it's genuinely tragic. I don't know how you... This is why I say it's probably best just to give up on... Uh, yeah. on and, and I say maybe not just humanities. I mean, now they're trying to decolonize science and, and mathematics. And, and so it is spreading to those other areas as well. Uh, uh, 
I don't know. Maybe I should be a bit more positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and basically start new institutions. I think so. I think yeah. that's probably the only way. I mean, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of effort and takes a lot of money, which I don't have. Yeah. But, but, uh, but I think if rich people who care about education have the resources, they, they probably should do yeah. that. Yeah. In the meantime, um, you know, to help little kids along, my first yeah. book of intersectional activism, what, what, is, what I loved about this, actually, was that it's sort of a how-to book, isn't it? It's, it's yes. a kind of awareness-raising, you know, don't take any notice of your parents, all of this sort of thing. Yeah, they yeah, are exactly. going to be wrong. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you've got the, throughout, you've got these woke heroes, um, you know, little potted biographies of why they're such good people. Sam yeah. Smith, Meghan Markle makes it in, doesn't she? Yes, yeah. Um, but my two favourite were the ones that I thought were a bit counterintuitive. You've got in here Mary Whitehouse and mm. Joseph Stalin. Mm. Uh, why would they be woke heroes? Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that you're reading and you have Hillary Clinton and Brie Larson and Alyssa Milano and then you hit Joseph Stalin. Or, you know, that, yeah, that to yeah. me make, make, makes me laugh anyway. But, but also because <laughs> the sort of contorted excuses that elements of the left find... To, to excuse Stalinism or communism uh, or quite flippantly say that, you know, I'm a communist. Yeah. As though that, that isn't loaded with this yeah. incredible history of murderers, this baggage of murder and, yeah. and, and, and genocide, as though it's just not sort of there. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, that to me is funny. Even when they uh, say, I'm literally a communist. Or even know? literally yeah, a communist, yeah, exactly, yeah, as opposed yeah. to I, uh, metaphorically a communist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that to me is a funny thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, I mean, who was the other one you mentioned? Joseph Stalin and... Mary Whitehouse. I mean, well, you know, she was a... I should, just in case anyone's... You know, because she was a huge figure, uh, wasn't she, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Yes. Um, and she would, she would have been uh, considered to be a heroine of kind of disgusted Tunbridge Wells, wouldn't she? Sure. People, so know. Mary Whitehouse uh, was a very sort of prim, prissy uh, Christian lady who, um, uh, you know, used to have twin set and pearls and that kind of thing and set, set, set up this clean-up TV campaign mm. uh, in the 1960s, I believe it was, and, and that sort of carried through to the 1980s mm. where you ha she had the um, Video Nasties campaign where she successfully uh, uh, petitioned the BBFC to ban uh, uh, videos and certainly particularly horror films such as Driller Killer and that sort of thing mm. uh, and The Evil Dead, um, which is, is a film that I actually like. Um, and... Um, so she was very, she was of the belief, I mean, her, she would write to the BBC about absolutely everything. I mean, remember once she wrote about Some Mothers Do Have Them, you know, the um, Frank yeah, Spencer yeah, character, yeah. Uh, because he, whenever uh, Michael Crawford played a sort of nervous moment, he had this habit of rubbing his wrist along his leg. He That's didn't right, know why yeah, he did it, yeah, but he did yeah. it apparently because there's nerves here that, and it's a natural thing that people do. She, she interpreted this as having a masturbatory quality and so she contacted the BBC and, and asked that that be banned as well. So anything, you know, and the reason why she's in the book is um, I want to make the point that the modern day social justice movement has is identical in its view of the potential impact of the arts and culture on the masses yeah. as Mary Whitehouse. It is, it is precisely the same idea, which is that um, problematic, that's the word they use, that's their favourite yeah. word, problematic ideas, representations, depictions in art or cinema or TV um, can have a corrupting effect on the masses. Yeah. That's the idea that they do believe, mm -hmm. which is why they will say, you, well, you can't depict an act of rape uh, on screen or you can't depict uh, misogyny, you can't, or you have the Advertising Standards Authority in this country saying that you can't show uh, gendered stereotypes 
you know, they censored the um, the Volkswagen e-Golf uh, advert because there was a woman with a pram. And, really, and I didn't really. They, yeah, well, they, they they said that isn't allowed uh, because it implies that women can be mothers, mm, right? Mm, mm. Um, and obviously that's Shock. problematic. Shock. I know it's disgusting. And then um, th so this stuff is, but that's the same theory that Mary Whitehouse had. Now the difference mm. is. 20, 30 years ago, people on the left were mocking Mary Whitehouse routinely. Mm. There was even a comedy TV show called The Mary Whitehouse Experience, Experience right? Yeah. So um, it, it, she was a figure of fun. No one took her seriously. Her ideas have won out on the left, not even on the right. This is coming from the left. Yes. That is hilarious to me. So I love the idea of, um, and they never own this. They'll never just say, actually, Mary Whitehouse was right. Uh, we have to protect the masses from uh, the evil influences of, of the things they see on screens. They mm. won't. They won't say that. Mm. So I thought Tatani should just say it. Yeah, she's a hero. Mm. Mary Whitehouse is brilliant. Mm. And that, that's, that's, that, to me, makes the point. Also, there are people, I mean, you know, you, you, Meghan Markle, mm. uh, you know, I, I think in some ways it's sort of like, uh, I, I can understand why she would be in more, uh, in there more. But again, it's this kind of, what comes across is this sort of moral, uh, this incredible moral superiority. About, as yeah, you mentioned it. the religious aspect of this. I mean, the whole thing with woke is literally that, you know, basically I am completely pure now. That's it. That's, you've that's got hilarious though. Yes, yes. Because no one is. The, and that, that's why any kind of moral grandstanding is funny mm. because it implies a sense of personal purity and that you can, I, you know, I can do nothing wrong and therefore I'm in a position to judge everyone else. That's, yeah. that's funny to me because obviously it's not true. Yeah. Um, Meghan Markle's a very good example of this. I mean, she's just, she loves to pontificate uh, about the morality of the little people. You know, and you know, she goes on and on about how they must lower their carbon footprint while taking private jets to Elton John's house for a party. You know, that that is just already self-satirizing and yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, often she speaks through her her conduit, uh, the ginger-haired royal. You know, so sometimes that happens. Um, so this is a funny situation, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, this this uh, wild misinterpretation that people disliked Meghan uh, on a racial basis. It's quite clear. I mean, we know that's not true because when the, the, the royal wedding was happening, the, the country was, it was all behind all them. Fate. They loved yeah, it. They yeah. absolutely adored it. Yeah. No, it's because she's hectoring everyone about how yeah. evil they all are and how wonderful she is, yes. which is an unpleasant personality trait. Yes. Um, so that's, yeah. you know, especially coming from a multimillionaire who's married a prince. Yes, yes, exactly. To be that's honest. A definition of lack of privilege, isn't it? Yeah. Um, with Titania, which has been this enormous uh, success, Andrew, and I mean, it's, it was a show too, wasn't it? Was it at the Edinburgh? Yeah, it did a show at the Edinburgh Fringe, which was meant to be touring this March, but obviously because of the lockdown, Very, that didn't happen. Yeah. We moved the whole, all of the dates are now com this coming March, so yeah. we moved it back a whole year. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, that's still going ahead. <laughs> but it, what, it, how is she doing at the moment? She's not suspended, but I mean, you no. know, you've, you've had a few of these run-ins, haven't you, with, on Twitter? Yeah, it's so weird to me. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, What's she- What's going on there? Well, that? okay, so she, look, Obviously, she was invented on Twitter and through Twitter. That makes complete sense because if you want to satirise the social justice yeah, movement, you yeah. do it on their own turf. Yeah. And, and Twitter is where they perform their activisms, yeah, you know? Yeah. That's what they do. They, they, they go out there and pontificate to everyone through uh, social media, uh, and it, obviously it's, it's complete nonsense. So that's what she does. The problem with that is, of course, because Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Google and all the rest of them are run by these uh, very ideologically driven uh, tech giants in Silicon Valley who are very much on board with the woke movement. Um, and in added to that are have a very sensorial mindset you know they, they don't believe in free speech they don't believe in unfettered speech they think it needs to be regulated and they think that they are the people who should be regulating it because by implication they know best mm. so um, 
which is the same to me as the BBFC back in the day banning films. You know, they were able to watch them and understand that they wouldn't be good for everyone else, uh, but the other people they couldn't see. You know, it's the same kind of idea. Um, and, the, you know, given that the, the, the social media uh, companies hire people to moderate their content, I mean, thousands of people to sit there and moderate content yeah. and make arbitrary decisions about what is acceptable and what is not. Yeah. And they all have these very nebulous terms of service, which are the rules. Uh, so people get violated and banned. People violate the terms of service and are banned from Twitter. Um, but they'll just get an automatic email saying you've, you've violated our terms of service. If you reply saying what what have I done, that you just get another automated response back. There's no way to sort of this. It's a very shady operation. So they never tell you why you've been banned. What they do is they just say you, you've committed a crime. We're punishing you for it, but we're not going to tell you what the crime is. That sounds quite reminiscent yeah. of a certain novel by Franz Kafka. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's, it's the same thing, you know? Uh, and then you're left thinking, well, I don't know what I do. I mean, a lot of the things that Titania's been banned for, um, I mean, it's always been reinstated ultimately, mm -hmm. but they're for nothing. Mm -hmm. the, like the tweets are not in any way uh, offensive at all. I mean, when she was uh, suspended recently, it was on the same afternoon, I think the same hour That's window, right, yeah. as about 10 or 11 other satirical accounts yeah. all at the same time. So if you're telling me, uh, that someone at Twitter had decided that all of those accounts violated this, these terms of service, which don't mean anything anyway, and they all did it within that one-hour window. I don't think that's true, is it? So, so that, this would have been, thing. yeah, this would have been. So, have the others come back? No, one of them has. The Babylon Bee, mm. which is an American Christian satirical site, mm. as in it's run by Christians and they're, they're conservatives as well. Yeah. Um, so that's why they're going to be. So I, I've, I've speculated about this that it's probably because the elections coming up. And they don't want people to mock Joe Biden and the Democrats. But yeah. but you know, as I pointed out in an article this week, I I don't think they need our they help need to, to mock no. to mock themselves. You know, they do it themselves. They do it pretty well. Um, so this weird fear of satire of comedy, it's, I've never understood it. I've never understood it. And it's not just confined to social media. It's it's out there generally amongst audiences. There's a new development that you know certain types of jokes will spread hate or normalize hate. Mm. It's a complete comedic illiteracy it's a complete misunderstanding mm. of what a joke is mm. if you're taking a joke at face value if you think that a, a stand-up comedian is literally saying what they think mm. then you have absolutely no understanding of the medium it would be it would be like me opining on football mm. uh, and the offside rule which i don't understand if i start if i start going and say i want to commentate on this and say no you need to move that man with the ball to that that bit and that you know you would say to me well you don't know what the fuck you're talking about yeah, yeah. um so you're not in a position to make have an opinion on this mm, right mm. so same thing mm. people who don't understand comedy who don't read very much who don't understand the idea of, of artistic representation and and they think that that uh, that if you represent something through comedy through art through drama uh it's an automatic endorsement of the thing that you represent i mean these kind of well, it's philistinism, isn't it? It is, it's, but it's not even having a view or putting a perspective. It's mm. enough, actually, to even be talking about a subject, actually. Just, yeah, just exactly. talking about a subject, that's enough to do it. But in a way, don't you think that that's a huge victory for the people who basically wanted to, wanted to embed this idea that words are the same as actions yeah. you know that words this is such can a big, be violent this is such a big complicated thing isn't it this, mm. this is the major development in recent years which is the idea that speech is violence mm. it isn't it's mm. speech mm. Um, and and the idea that that has taken hold i find very disturbing uh, we know where it comes from uh, it, it comes from this postmodern idea uh, this Foucauldian idea of, of uh, 
this emphasis on how language creates uh, reality, uh, which is not specifically Foucauldian, because it's it's just to do with this post-structuralist notion of reality that it is it, that 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 that, uh, that truth. There is no truth really beyond the language with which it is expressed, basically. Um, so it's got an old sort of pedigree, and now it's just become a kind of mainstream idea that that uh, that's why. Otherwise, why would this movement be so uh, obsessed with with policing speech mm. and and really by extension policing thought? Why is it that uh, dictionaries online now are changing definitions in accordance with their ideological values, not, which is their traditional role, to record common usage, right? Why does Merriam-Webster, uh, the oldest American dictionary, now now say that racism uh, doesn't mean what we thought it meant? We, it, we, we all used to think it meant um, prejudice and hatred against people based on race. Mm. Well, that's what everyone thinks it mm. means. Mm. Everyone thinks mm. it means. Mm. But because a few niche uh, know-nothing academics think it's an equation, which is a uh, prejudice plus power, now, a, a major dictionary has decided to change yeah. the definition in accordance with that value. Now, no one's using the word in that way. What they're trying to do is a, a form of social engineering. Mm. They think if they change the definition, then everyone will start using it in the way that they prefer. Now, that's very scary and sinister. We were talking just before we, uh, we started recording, actually, about words mm. and, and about the importance of them. And you, you were saying, and I, this is something I, I feel very much myself, that you were concerned more and more about libraries, you know, and yeah. about what's happening in libraries. Well, I mean, obviously, we also had this huge case, well, these reports this week, anyway, of what's happening in the British Library. Yes. Uh, which is, but, but you're talking as well about what, what exactly? What's your concern there's with libraries? Well, there's a really weird thing going on. Um, uh, over the past few months, I've noticed I'll get a really, well, I get a lot of vicious attacks on Twitter, and I start to notice that more and more, I'd click through and look at the bio, and they're librarians. And I thought this is quite funny. This is quite yeah, a funny yeah, thing. Like yeah, these yeah. these really angry librarians have suddenly emerged. I mean, that that sounds like the plot of a, a sitcom. <laughs> and and I okay. And and, and every, occasionally yeah. they'd be boasting about how they're they're taking off books from by white authors off the shelves, or they're they're they're, they're sort of um, getting rid of they're decolonizing the bookshelves at their local libraries, and they're they're educating people about the things they should be reading, which is not a librarian's job. Uh, and and it's it was just interesting that this was mm. I thought I was going mad right yeah, because it yeah. seemed a bit weird yeah. um, to the extent I mean some of the abuse was so bad from librarians I had to start blocking librarians uh, I actually think my Twitter experience would be better if I could just filter out librarians couldn't you just and get back to them and say silence please right <laughs> wonderful yeah but you always think afterwards what would be the best retort um, so th there's this weird thing and then of course you read about the British Library which is the the library of libraries right the major copyright library in this country which has a copy of every book and the head of that Liz Jolly I think her name is is uh, is deciding to uh, she has to decolonize the library and and, and um, uh, revalue its collections and sort of reconsider its collections why it's not your job no exactly you know just put the books back on the shelves where they belong the point is the problem is that with you know with all these institutions is that this is sort of becoming clearer and clearer is that they have political objectives, and they sort of quite—they, yeah. they, you know—they see the organisation as actually having to have political objectives, yes. quite sort of openly. But as a result, they actually run the things really poorly. Well, and well you're not a—well, you're not a good librarian if you if you think that you should filter out, decolonise, yeah. decide what your readers are reading. Yeah, yeah. You know, it reminds me of that Victoria Wood episode about the library, um, where there's a woman who runs the library like like Hitler. And she, she goes through Jackie Collins' books with a, a felt-tip pen to cross out the rude words, or she draws, she crayons bras on the women in the breastfeeding manuals. You know, so that, that, that sort of figure yeah. is now actually happening. And, yeah. and, and whereas Victoria Wood was making fun of the idea of that, the concept, 
Now it's a reality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's mad because it's, I don't want to smear all librarians. I, I must be clear about this. Mm. Uh, I'm sure there are some lovely librarians with much to offer the world. I, you know, I know a couple um, of, of, of some of my best friends are librarians, but um, <laughs> I do find it, there is an odd trend. Yes. In particular, it, maybe people of that mindset are just attracted to that job. Um, I mean, certainly things to do with words, people who staff dictionaries, people who staff libraries, people who go into um, uh, media, um, th there's an overwhelming predominance of this kind of idea so do they go into these industries because they want to influence the way that people think? Or is, it, is there something about that job that just appeals to s someone who isn't very good at critical thinking or thinking for themselves? I, d I don't know. Yes. I'd be fascinated to know the answer to that. Yes. Um, it, 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 I suppose along the lines maybe a, a bit like with teachers. Again, one doesn't want to malign all teachers, but there's this idea, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach. You know? Yeah. And I, I don't know whether this is, uh, there is something in that. Um, well, I think, just to say, I think teaching is one of the most valuable things anyone yes, can yeah, do. I think it's yeah. utterly crucial. And I, I think with teaching, just because I've been so overwhelmed by the number of teachers who've got in touch with me about this stuff, it does make me think actually that it's a minority of teachers who are pushing this. Really? And yeah, I do think that. And I think, I know what it's like though. I mean, I used to be a teacher myself and you'd sit there in the teacher training days and someone would be giving you a talk about something ludicrous. And everyone's just thinking, I just want to go to lunch or I just want to get, like the, the inset days aren't really that useful on the whole. Um, it's just a, a, an excuse to pay someone a lot of money to, you know, to, to, to to do it, to be seen to be doing something, you know. Um, so firstly, you know, everyone wants a quiet life. But also, if you want to get promoted, you know, if you want that head of sixth form job or whatever, um, which everyone's got their eye on, or head of house or whatever, you're probably not going to get it if you're the sort of person who puts your hand up in an inset and says, sorry, I, I think what you're saying is nonsense. Mm. So that's really the problem. Mm. You know, when all the, and I'm being serious about this now, teachers are being told to read White Fragility, a book that, sh that any intelligent person will discredit once they've read it. I've read it twice for some stupid reason. Um, well, I read it once before I uh, uh, wrote the last Titania book and I read it again because I wanted to write a chapter about it in this book. Um, and, you know, th I'll give you an example. A friend of mine who's starting a new job in September, he's been sent a reading list and it includes white fragility right. and, and things like this. He had to sit in on a Zoom assembly with the school where, where the kids were berated for their white privilege for their heterosexual privilege, which is an assumption anyway, uh, for their... Um, Berated by who, Andrew? By one of the teachers who was giving the assembly. And, and these kids would have been how old, roughly? Uh, well, it's secondary, so yeah. uh, 11 to 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also being told that they were, because it's a boys' school, they're all male, so they have male privilege. What was very funny to me, though, the teacher didn't mention class privilege at any point. This is a private school where people are paying extortionate fees so that their children can attend. And of course, that is the real problem with that school. That's the real source of privilege in that school. You know, I mean, if, if that school doesn't turn you away if you're black, it does turn you away if you don't have 30 grand a year. Mm. So it's just funny to me that identity politics is, it supersedes those issues of class inequality to such ridiculous extents. And, and my teacher friend was saying to me, it's a new job, right? Uh, he's on probation. He's not in a position to stand up and say, I, I think this is all bollocks because that will that means his card is marked yeah. promotions out the window he might even not have his contract renewed so i think that's the real issue it's not that teachers have suddenly read robin d'angelo and thought oh this is a good idea yeah. in fact i put it to you that i don't think anyone with half a brain could read it and think this is a good idea yeah. um so and teachers generally are intelligent people this is something that really characterizes the whole movement the woke and the social justice and that is the total absence of as you just pointed out 
issues of class. It's just, it's mad. This is why I don't consider the woke movement a left-wing movement. Yeah. It's just—it's a bourgeois movement. It's, it's, she, it's not. It's just not. What do you think? What do you think of this view? I mean, you know, I, I've seen a few pieces about it. That a lot of the protests that we've had, the ones going on even in America at the moment, um, they are essentially a kind of elite protest. You know, that these people make a great song and dance. Actually, uh, seen them doing it about the fact they have college degrees and yeah. that they are actually almost rebelling against. So, who, who would they be protesting? Does it all go back to things like Brexit or Trump? Does it? Are they really angry that essentially they have not been listened to on these occasions? Could it be that? Is that too fanciful? Well, this. I think the people who are largely behind a lot of these protests, though, have been in positions of power and have been yeah. listened to. I don't think they are disenfranchised in that way. And I, I, you know, I think of things like, I, you see working class communities being trashed and burned and, and working class shop owners, often people of color, having their livelihoods destroyed by, um, by white liberals um, in masks, mm-hmm. rich white college kids. Yes. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. That's a really weird idea, isn't it? It is weird and also I would have thought something that could be easily satirised. It's funny. Uh, yeah. It's funny. But see, I just want to come back to this point. We were talking a bit earlier about satire and the state of satire, which is obviously thriving on, on say, Twitter and social media. But I just noticed recently that, for example, Spitting Image is going to be returning to television. Yeah. And I just sort of thought, will they take on things like the social justice movement? You know, will, will they satirise that? I would have thought that could fill up, for example, a whole series, surely. Oh, of course it shows. could. I mean, many series, yeah. I mean, it's... But will they, do you think? I've got a I, feeling I mean, I've they no, won't. I've no idea, actually. No. I, I, you know, I believe the, the new uh, series is written by the people who wrote the old right, series. Right. And if that's the case, they might well do, because yeah. they, they uh, come from that... I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Sort of the, all the old-school lefties of the 80s, they, they're not in, on board with this identity politics oh, no, stuff at all. No, so no. maybe they will. Um, it would be harder for it to get through uh, the commissioners and the executives and that kind of thing. Um, th- this is the problem that we have with the media at the moment and the BBC and uh, Channel 4 and all the rest of it. It's not, it's not an issue of left and right, actually. Um, it's, it's that the identity politics is systemic at the BBC. Uh, that's the problem. So, you know, when the incoming director general talks about how he wants to um, make it more more uh, diversity of opinion, he wants he wants left and right. Um, he particularly did mention comedy, didn't he? Yes, he, he well. did. I mean, what and, do you uh, make of that? How, how could he? How could what could he possibly do? What could the BBC do to uh, change the situation? It, uh, well, you know, there aren't many right wing stand up comedians. In fact, there, there are not that many political comedians. Full stop. The real issue is about wokeness. Is about is about mm-hmm. identity politics and social justice, mm-hmm. which is it's so absolutely palpably the case um, that in order to advance very far at, at the BBC, you have to be on board with that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's everyone knows that, um, and anyone who denies that is 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 lying, frankly. So, and that is so systemic at the BBC, it's so embedded, I don't know how you would even begin to dismantle that. Mm. I think, you know, and, and, and largely it's because uh, people who work there are so obviously more privileged, you know, you're twice as likely to be privately educated if you work at the BBC as any other, uh, as your average Briton. So um, how do you dismantle that? Well, I think what you do is you, you, 
you have to effectively employ commissioners and executives who are not put off by political opinions they don't agree with. That that have this um, this liberal idea that we should be hearing different voices and different different mm. ideas about the world and um, and particularly in comedy that is a problem. I mean, there's uh, I, I I mean I know comedians. You know, lots of comedians get in touch with me and say that they really like what I'm doing, but they they never share my stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and the, I've even had people say that they wish they could have a go at this stuff as well, but they daren't. Yeah. And that's because people have to, you know, they need to pay the mortgage and the yeah, rent and yeah. all the rest of it. So yeah. so I get it. Um, so it, it will be hard. Um, it isn't just as simple as getting uh, people on to have a pop at the Labour Party or whatever. Like it's not. No, it's not. It's, I know. It, I totally get that. I mean, I really do. Because when you when you talk about identity politics, what it really is is like uh, somebody put on Twitter recently a very. Uh, I thought it was a very good point. They put on a, a clip of Morecambe and Wise and yeah. Tom Jones and said, "Oh, look, this nasty right wing uh, male dominated comedy or something." They were making a point. Uh, you know, satirically. Yeah. Um, but you see, that's the point. There was nothing right-wing about Morecambe and Wise, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But they were just, if you like, I mean, I suppose the BBC would look at them and say, well, no, because they're not diverse enough ethnically. Maybe something like that. Because Right, it, so, but that's, that's, yes. the, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, there's, I mean it, what was very interesting is when this announcement was made by, by um, the incoming director general, um, the, the principal objection on tw- Twitter, which is where I gauge everything from, mm. appeared to be uh, either, as Owen Jones said, well, there's no funny right-wing comedians, which just exposes that he's not familiar with the comedy scene at all, um, which is fine. You know, he, he's not someone who goes to comedy, clearly, so that's fine, um, which is why he is wrong about that. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the main thing was, oh, well, what do they want? They want, like, Bernard Manning. We just want, we're just going to st- put Bernard Jim Manning Davidson back on TV. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, and it's... it's it's, it shows an incredible failure of imagination yeah. that your only reference point for right-wing comedy is from the 70s and 80s. Uh, the kind of comedians, incidentally, who no longer exist. Where are you going to get these people? Like, they, they don't exist. So, firstly, you have to overcome this, this mm. idea that we live in an inherently racist society. Now, the problem is that the BBC is pushing that systemic racism idea, and it's, it's a faith-based position that they hold. So, um, you'd have to get beyond that. You'd have to recognise that that is not true. That's the first thing. There is racism in society. That does not mean that society is systemically racist. That's, the, that's an important distinction that needs to be made. The vast majority of people despise racism. That's that's the point. Yeah. And I've never met a racist comedian, and I've met most of them. Uh, so, so that's the first thing you have to acknowledge. And then um, what you'd have to do is 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 be willing to have someone who will express that point comedically, or yeah, or, yeah. or or poke fun at this stuff that is obviously funny. Mm. Um, and not be accused of being racist for doing so. That's that's you know that's the other thing. So, I, I've been actually quite amazed at the the sort of infantile reaction. To I suppose this, the only thing I the, the only thing I, I saw recently. I'm not talking about the big like Dave David Chappelle and people like this in America. Mm. But I saw a Tracy Ullman sketch yeah. where she is taking a class of people who are trying to. You know, but get over their wokeness, you know, that's and it went viral. Yes, it went viral, it. but there was nothing actually right wing about it. I mean, it's not right wing. It was very funny, actually. No, but it, it's interpreted as being right wing yeah, yeah, because, because yeah. people. That's why people think that Titania McGrath is a right wing character, or that the whole concept is. Or a right-wing. that you're right wing when you're not, are you? Exactly. So that there's a right. Well, I mean, this is the problem. What does it even mean anymore? You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I come from a left wing background in, in so, so far as. You know, I believe in the welfare state. I believe in I believe in a degree of wealth redistribution. The, you know, these through proportionate taxation. These are these are traditionally left wing ideas. Yeah. I suppose I have 
uh, conservative elements culturally. I suppose you could say I have, I have a certain cultural conservatism in line with, with say, George Orwell, who, you know, who wrote that essay, The Lion and the Unicorn, about this very thing. Um, I think that education should be conservative as far as I think we should learn about the past. There should be canonical texts. You know, so all of this stuff, I mean, what does it even mean? And if I mock social justice and if I mock um, the woke movement, that's automatically interpreted as being right wing. Well, the mistake there is firstly, you're assuming that the woke movement is left wing, which it is not. That's the first thing, because it has no, it, like we said, it doesn't care about class inequality. Yeah, yeah. If you don't care about class inequality and economic inequality, you're not left wing. You're just not. Mm. So, so, and most of these people don't care about that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So they care about identity issues. Um, what would you, what would you, uh, what kind of, how then could you categorize? Okay, they care about identity issues. Uh, I would call them cultural totalitarians, actually. This is the problem that we don't yeah. know what to call them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, even the word woke, now people say, yeah, but you're just making that word up. It's not a word that anyone uses to describe themselves, apart from all the people who use the word to describe themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, th this is the weird thing. I mean, like two years ago, Nika Burns, who's the head of the Foster, the, I think, well, the Edinburgh Comedy Awards, used to be the Foster's Awards, uh, gave a speech which opened the, fest the festival saying she was looking forward to the new woke world of comedy uh, where, where up-and-coming comics would determine the parameters of what was acceptable to joke about. Right, which is sort of the opposite of where of what comedy should be, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. a bit sinister coming yes. from someone who's quite high up and in, uh, instrumental in the comedy industry. So there's yeah. that. But she used she just self-described as woke, and she said this is what you know. The, the, I, I remember I was getting in an argument on Twitter with someone saying, "Well, no one, no one um, who's for social justice uses the word woke to describe themselves." So I just screenshotted and posted loads of Guardian articles where they do exactly that. Um, so it, it's it's not true. Uh, this sort of revisionist idea that, that woke isn't used in this way, it is. It's interesting, uh, people, no one ever really used to uh, describe themselves as being politically correct, did they? Right, so there's another mm, one, so yeah. So then what, and also this is not the same thing as political correctness, so no, that's no. another thing, so... Really, I mean, because a lot of people would say woke is almost like political correctness on steroids, isn't it? It's, it's a development out of it, I think, yeah. uh, like a perverted offspring, the kind you keep in the attic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's... it's <laughs> If you go back to political correctness, that it's sort of informed by a well-intentioned idea yeah. that uh, maybe don't go up to gay people and call them dirty faggots and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, you know, yeah. be be polite, right? That's quite a nice idea, and it's it's. It, I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't agree that we've got a social contract, haven't we? We know what's acceptable and yeah. what's not what not acceptable. Um, and I'm not talking about arresting people who choose to transgress those boundaries, but what I'm saying is. We know what polite society means. We know what being polite means. That's a good thing. Um, so there's that. That's not the same as the intersectional woke social justice movement, whatever you want to call it, which believes in imposing uh, a, a rigid set of what opinions are acceptable, yeah. what opinions are not, instituting hate speech laws, cracking down on what people can say. Uh, th that's a massive, a massive authoritarian leap beyond what political correctness was, I think. So, so do we call it wokeness? Do we call it political correctness? Intersectional? I mean, sometimes I call it left identitarianism, but, but that's complicated because people don't really know what identitarianism is, and, and, it, and as I say, it's not really left-wing. But the problem is that a lot of the things that they describe themselves as, they're not. So, for instance, they're not really for social justice, but they call themselves social justice activists. Yeah. Uh, they, they call themselves liberals, but everything about them is illiberal. illiberal. Uh, they, they, they push this notion of anti-racism, which is a racist ideology. Yeah. So it's very difficult to navigate this stuff um, because the language they use is almost 
the opposite of what it actually means. That's really, that's really difficult. So what do we call them? I wish, if you can come up with, you know, uh, some people call it critical social justice, which is Critical what, social justice. Well, that's what Robin DiAngelo called it. Right, um, right. So that's one, but again, then you mm. find yourself in this position where you, you have to explain these terms. I mean, I'm writing a book about this stuff at the moment, and, and, and the big problem I'm having is, what the hell do you call it? Um, because if you, if you just talk about social justice, people will say to you, what, does that mean you're, you're not for social justice? That doesn't make yeah. sense. It's the same with Black Lives Matter. Yes. If you, if you criticise the Black Lives Matter movement, people say, what, you don't think Black Lives Matter? Yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks that Black Lives Matter. That's a given. That debate was one decade yes. ago, right? Let's, why don't we talk about what they actually think yes. and whether we're on board with all of that sort of stuff? So it's difficult. You say you're writing this book. Is this kind of, this is not a satirical book? No, no, no. This a, is a non-fiction. A, and it will be basically what a, 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 an exploration of the whole phenomenon? yes i'm i'm talking about the religion of social justice and its impact on society and mm. and uh um and that that to me is i think the you know i i i went on uh, the big questions a couple of years ago to talk about how wokeness is a religion and that seems to be um uh, the best way the best analogy i think for it it's a it's a flawed analogy in many respects but but i think it's a useful one because I think people will understand what you mean by yeah. that. As in, as yeah. in, you know, here you have a group of people who set themselves up as the elites or the high priests who decide what it is you should think. They have their own jargon and esoteric language that they can communicate with each other, um, but they don't want you to be able to understand it. That's why if you get into an argument with a woke academic, they'll throw lots of jargon at you in the hope of, of, of scaring you away. You know, it's the, it's the equivalent to the priests uh, in the Middle Ages. Uh, not wanting the Bible to be translated into the vernacular and burning anyone at the stake who did because they should be able to interpret the, the Holy Scripture, not you. Um, uh, you know, it has its own foundational texts such as Foucault and Derrida uh, and, it ha and, and Lyotard, say. Um, so it has all of those elements of religion. It excommunicates people who are heretics. It seeks heretics out. Uh, and, and we have cancel culture instead of burning at the stake. But of course, there's those two things clearly uh, are related. And I think if they could burn people at the state, they probably would. So um, they have all these elements of religion. And a total lack of forgiveness. Right, now this is where it, it clearly parts company with Christianity, where mm. at the heart of Christianity is forgiveness and redemption, mm. and that it does not exist. And that's why it, the closer analogy would be to a fundamentalist uh, religion um, maybe maybe ISIS might be a good comparison, you know, because they like to trash statues as well, don't they? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, although, you know, that would be extreme because no one in the social justice movement is, is beheading people yet. Mm -hmm. um, but so I think I think that's a good, useful way to, to describe what's going on. Um, but and that's what I'm that's what I'm writing about. And I'm writing about it because I I want to basically do something about it, I think we should reinstate liberal values mm. and the primacy of liberal values um, in society. You know, when I was growing up, we were taught uh, not to judge people for their sexuality, their race, their skin colour, uh, their gender, um, that, that beautiful ideal of colour blindness. Mm. We need to bring that back, you know. When, whenever teachers are contacting me about this anti-racism stuff, anti-racism doesn't mean being opposed to racism. It, it, it means subscribing to the ideas of white fragility, white privilege, Robin DiAngelo, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, which is very damaging and creates more racism in society. So, you know, I say to these teachers, just show them the Martin Luther King speech, the I Have a Dream speech, leave it at that. 
tell them not to judge people by skin color. And yes, color blindness is the right way. Color blindness should be the ideal. And that doesn't mean, as people like to pretend it means, that you don't see race. It means you don't care. Mm. It means you don't judge anyone and you don't, you don't treat people differently because of race. The, uh, the current intersectional crop want us to judge people on their race, mm. treat them differently on their race. Robin DiAngelo says explicitly uh, that if you treat black people the same as white people, you're being racist. Mm. In other words, unless you're being racist, you're being racist. Yes. Uh, yes. So that's an impossible bind, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's pure, uh, it, it's pure double, double speak. Well, she it? says that uh, the colour blindness advanced by Martin Luther King is a form of covert white supremacy. Well, this is the point, is that what, what they will do with, you mentioned Martin Luther King there, mm. you know, they will, basically they will bring him down, won't they? Well, they've they already accused him, him some have accused him of being racist or at least uh, yeah. suffering from internalised racism. Um, I mean, the arrogance of that mm. is astonishing. Mm. Some, some others, another tactic that you'll get is people say, well, you haven't read all of Martin Luther King's corpus mm. and actually look at these selected quotes that I can throw at you, which show that he's more on our side. Look, I don't actually care, right? I don't care what else he said. What I'm saying is the ideal of colorblindness as encapsulated and beautifully and eloquently expressed in that particular speech, right? That's what I'm talking about, that ideal. I don't care who said it, actually. Um, it's the fact that he was able to express that idea so beautifully and so perfectly. Um, that's what we should be striving towards. Um, their idea that if you look at other elements of his life, that somehow undermines the concept of that speech, it simply does not. I mean, did they really think at the end of the speech he just said, ah, lol, only kidding. No, actually, when he says judge people by the content of their character, yeah. not the color of their skin, that's what he means. Mm. And that's the ideal we should be, we should be aspiring towards. Um, and we have to be, when people like Robin D'Angelo come into your corporation for 12 grand an hour to berate you for being racist, even if you're not racist, and tell you that if you say you don't uh, believe that people should be judged differently on, on racial grounds, you were therefore a racist, people have to have the courage to stand up and say, you're wrong, you're an idiot, mm. and you're a racist. Yes. And, and so therefore, th that's how we'll get past this. Yeah. People don't do that because they fear for their jobs. Mm -hmm that we're in this climate where they fear for, as I've said, their promotion prospects and that kind of thing. But, you know, the truth is, uh, society is not improved by uh, an emphasis on race and sexuality and gender that is disproportionate and inviting people to see those things first and foremost and see us as human beings second, or to see people as groups and demographics and as individuals second. Um, that isn't helpful. I mean, Robin D'Angelo, have, have you read White Fragility? No, I haven't. I don't think I could You're, you're very much. lucky. Um, yeah. it's, um, it's like a form of torture yeah. as a book. It, it yeah. could be used as a device. Mm. Um, I think if you... What's very clear about the book is... I mean, she continues... Well, firstly, she's a racist. Yeah. Let's just say it. Uh, and by the way, that's not me... Because I don't like people throwing that word around no, no. promiscuously. She admits it. So she talks about how... She once got, was invited to a party, a street party or something, and she turns up and there's two parties going on, and one is predominantly black and one is predominantly white, and she says she was filled with anxiety that it might be the black party she's been invited to. Um, now, that's what a racist would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her interpretation is, she then says, well, that made me think that as a white woman I should reflect on my, on my racism. And I think, yeah, that's a good idea because you're racist, <laughs> right? Um, but her theory, is in fact a form of projection. Yeah. Her theory is, because I'm a racist white woman, all other white people must be racist. And you see what that does? That kind of 
um, exempts you from fault. Yes. Because it's not your fault, because it's, there's something inherent. We go back to the religion idea that it's a kind of relig- original sin. They use the phrase whiteness, that's what they mean. But whiteness is an original sin. It's something that is inbuilt within white people, so all white people are racist. Um, I can't help but think that actually this idea is just being advanced by white racists. Yes. And we probably shouldn't get on board with that, you know? <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, this woman and this book and the whole concept of white fragility, uh, it's had an enormous sort of currency. It's really funny, so, by the way. No, yeah, but what, it, what does it actually mean? Basically, what does it mean? It's got a, it, it's got a massive, you know, she was an open door. I mean, everyone, you know, is taking it on board. It's on these list, uh, reading lists that you mentioned earlier. It's in schools. Yes, in schools. So in other words, there's also a hell of a lot of people who want to be told this. No, there aren't. <laughs> That's the thing. No. I don't think there are. I think, yeah. I think the, the, the people who are pushing it are a minority. They're this indoctrinated minority who are not thinking. Um, they're just in power, that's all. Yeah, they're just in positions yeah. of power and people mm-hmm. don't want to challenge them or like I say, they're intimidated by the language. Um, the, the theory of white fragility is that all white people are racist and if a white person claims not to be racist, they're demonstrating white fragility, which is a form of racism, uh, which means that you can't lose. Yeah, so she's yeah. setting the rules of the game so that she cannot lose, okay? But what I'm saying is the game is a fraud. Mm. So, you know, just reject the game. Don't, don't refuse to play it, you know? Uh, unfortunately, I do, I mean, I read all this stuff because I feel I have to have an understanding of it before I mock it, and I think that's, a, that's fair enough. Oh, absolutely. It's exhausting. I mean, I'm going away on holiday now for a few days, and I've only got books like that in my bag. You know, I'm gonna have to, <laughs> there's a new one called Is Free Speech Racist? I'm reading that one now. Uh, so I'm gonna have, you know, I'm gonna have to sit there on a beach and read that fucking thing. <laughs> You know, and, and, and I know what it's going to be like, and I don't yeah. like to be prejudiced when I go into reading it, but I, I do actually go in with an open mind. Yeah. Like, even in Robin D'Angelo's book, there are moments where she makes points that I think, yeah, I'm on board with that, that's fine. And then she'll just undermine it by saying, everyone's a racist, ah, screaming, you know. And so, that, and that's that's the thing. So I, I have to read this stuff. And it is, it is like, it's painful, partly because they're so badly written. These are bad writers. And when academic writing largely is, is comprises of bad writers. You know, if you can't express your ideas with clarity, you're not good at writing. You know, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have to use words like discursive and uh, phallogocentric and uh, words that are obviously only going to be, I mean, they're not even really uh, useful terms. What they are is they're kind of codes, they're signals yeah. to other people within the cult yeah. uh, that they're on board. I mean, my, my supervisor, I had a supervisor called, I had two supervisors at Oxford for my doctorate, and one of them was uh, a brilliant guy called Robin Robbins, who by the way, wrote the definitive edition of John Donne's poetry. So if you ever need oh, that, you should get that. It's a two-volume thing for Longman, um, uh, which he spent 20 years working on, so that's why it's so good. But anyway, he, with proper scholarship, you know, back in the day. But he used to say to me, um, first he said, don't go into academia. That was his first piece of advice. He said, you'll end up running around the, squ- the quad when you're 80 screaming, why have I wasted my life? And I took that on board and got out. Um, but the other thing he used to say is that publishers, people at the OUP or Cambridge University Press or wherever you are, um, they tend to take these books because they don't understand them. So you just stuff these books full of jargon and the publishers will publish them because they don't know what, they, they feel like if they, if they come back and say, well, I don't really understand this, <laughs> they might look stupid, I yes. guess. Um, Empress New Clothes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I always find that kind of writing, Judith Butler's style yeah, of writing, Judith yeah. Butler's a queer theorist yeah. from the 90s. I remember reading Gender Trouble when I was at university and, and then I, I remember I got in a conversation about this book with a friend of mine and I explained what it was about, it was about g- gender p- 
performativity was what she calls it. Um, I explained it and I realized I just basically explained the whole book in, in like a minute. And, and then I realized the blurb on the back of the book actually ex- tells you all you need to know. You don't really need to read the book because what she does is she finds very convoluted ways to say a very simple thing over many pages. Um, I mean, she won the award for worst, write, worst academic writing in the world. Because honestly, you can have whole sentences that go on with multiple clauses yeah. for three quarters of a page yeah. saying absolutely nothing. Well, you know, when it comes to sort of uh, the, the, the cult of woke and identity politics, even something which is understandable, you know, makes no sense. For example, yeah, yeah. Lived, <laughs> lived experience. Um, right. What is unlived experience? I'm going to uh, start Jay? pushing this idea of unlived, unlived experience. Unlived yeah. experience. Yes, exactly. I'm trying to think, would it be in a, one's inner life, maybe? Or <laughs> one's fantasy world or something like that? Who knows? Lived experience is this, what we used to call anecdotal evidence, and we used to disregard it. Yeah. Because everyone, everyone who's, who's schooled in critical thinking understands yeah. that the way you experience something doesn't mean you can extrapolate that and, and apply it to the whole of society and assume that this is... So, you know, therefore, someone um, who experiences an unpleasant act of homophobia, right, uh, 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 then decides, because this has happened to me, our society is systemically homophobic. That would be the equivalent. And I've seen that happen, you know. I, I got in an argument recently on Twitter because, again, Twitter, uh, because I, I wrote an article saying we need to ditch identity politics in the LGBT. We, actually, let's get rid of LGBT and all its variant initialisms. Let's get rid of all of that because it's just divisive and it doesn't serve any purpose anymore other than for corporations to whack a flag on a product and sell it. That's all it is really now. So let's get rid of that. And uh, and one person came back saying, yes, but I was I was attacked. I, I was suffered from a homophobic attack and everything. Well, okay, that's horrible. And in a liberal society, we deal with that and the police deal with that. And it's a by the way um, so the your conclusion that because something bad happened because I'm gay means that uh, society hates gay people is not correct mm. it's simply not accurate mm. so um, that, so we need to get back to the idea that if someone invokes lived experience as evidence we say well that's not evidence you know I think yeah. I think children need to be schooled in this stuff really yeah, yeah. so so just the basics of critical thinking it would be so simple if, if children just knew you throw an insult, you've lost the argument. It's an ad hominem attack. You mischaracterize what your opponent thinks. Yeah. That's a straw man. You've lost the argument, you know. If you just ta- taught them these basic ideas, if you, if you appeal to your own experience as, as, as evidence, that's not evidence. You know, all these basics. Unfortunately, what you have is um, people, prominent people in the media and politics who, think, who don't know these, these basic rudimentary things. I mean, that's, that's weird to me. So the solution is education. Basically, it's probably one of the reasons why Titania's book will do very well, actually, as well. They don't need; they just don't know what they're talking about. These people, they don't. Um, and this is very instructive. This book. Um, I love that you keep plugging it for me. Yes, no, no. It means that I don't have to. I want to keep saying intersectional because I was cut to the quick. No, no, but I wasn't criticising. My my whole point, (laughs) as you know, the the joke of the title is that a child would never be able to grapple with this terminology. I mean, Titania says in the opening chapter, I don't don't believe in speaking down to children. Children have innate wisdom. You know, as she says with Greta Thunberg, you know, uh, Titania's first words were seize the means of production as a baby, you know. (laughs) So she doesn't believe that you talk down to children. so that's it's very very funny very it really Andrew thanks so much you know for coming and talking about it has that uh, gone already yes no, it's it great my first little book of intersectional activism it's available now in all good bookshops in the children's section it pro- well <laughs> it probably know. won't be it but won't it, and maybe be. it will end up there okay I saw in a did you see in America recently I think called the Bronco bookstore they tweeted out their display 
of books that are committed to diversity and inclusion. And there was uh, uh, Ibram Kendi and, and Robin DiAngelo. And, and there was Woke by Titania McGrath as well. And, um, and they didn't realise. No. And then when, at first I thought, well, maybe they're in on the joke. Uh, but then they got a lot of tweets saying you realise that's satire. Not only did they remove it from their display, they removed it from sale on their website as well. So they weren't happy about that. What a compliment, though. <laughs> well, the, sure. You know, what a compliment to you. <laughs> um, thanks very much. And look, uh, you're going off on holiday. Uh, try not to read too much. Do, well, do, do relax, you know. I, I, will, I will do my best. I've, yeah. got a, I've got one of my Stella Benson books as well, so I can read something that's actually good. Yes. And then I'll, I'll, I'll read all the rubbish as well. You just have to vary it. Thanks very much. Thank anyway. you. Thank you. Uh, that's it for so what you're saying is this week. Uh, great talk. I think you'll agree. Uh, we shall see you next week. Thanks very much. Bye bye.